Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today, as we continue with our study in the book of Acts, Paul is trying to preach to the Jewish High Council, even though many of these men are the same ones who wouldn't listen to Jesus either. We'll pick it up in Acts chapter 23, verse 4. Once again, that's Acts chapter 23, verse 4. Acts 23. In verse 4, they that stood by in Acts 23, they said, do you insult or slander God's high priest? That's the exact opposite of what the Lord commanded us to do. And Paul realizes his wrongdoing immediately, and he apologizes. Verse 5, then said Paul, I knew not, brothers, that he was the high priest. That phrase there, the way it's worded in the original language, it means he didn't realize it until just now. Perhaps he was so angry at the command to smite him that he didn't notice the man who gave it was wearing the high priest's robes and sitting in that official seat. Whatever the reason, though, it was wrong, and he confesses his fault in doing so, for he says, it is written, you shall not speak evil of the ruler of your people. Listen, that's the best apology you can ever give is when you come to somebody and you say, listen, I was wrong. The Bible says I'm supposed to do this and I didn't do it. Or the Bible says I'm not supposed to do this and I did it. Will you please forgive me? It's really hard not to forgive somebody when they come at you like that. When you are so honest before them and just to say, this is what God, the standard, that's what confession is, right? It's to say the same thing that God says about it, right? God says, this is wrong. I don't want you to do it. When we come and we say, I know it's wrong. I shouldn't have done it. Will you please forgive me? That's humility. Paul humbles himself and he quotes Exodus twenty two twenty eight here and saying you shall not speak evil of the ruler of your people. I don't want to spend too much time on this, but we may not like some of the leaders that we have. Maybe you do, but I'm just saying if you don't, that doesn't give us a right to insult them. It doesn't give us a right to make nasty memes about them and put them on social media. We could speak the truth in love like Jesus did and still maintain the dignity of what it means to be different than everybody else. Now, at this point, any righteous leverage Paul did have is gone. And he looks very bad in front of the Roman commander now. He's in trouble and he knows it. And this is why I really think God didn't want Paul to go to Jerusalem. God, he knows everything, right? He, he knows us through and through. He knows us inside and out. And while Paul felt perfectly suited to reach his own nation, God knew he was not the perfect person. That Paul's trust in himself would put him in situations he would not handle well. That he would take this personally. And this is why we can never resort to the mindset of, well, it must be God's will for me to do this thing because I'm the perfect man or woman for the task. How many times have we kind of thought to ourselves, well, you know, I'd be better for that. You know, my background is in this and I've had experience in this. I have found that God just doesn't work that way. More often than not, I have found that God puts us in situations that don't seem to fit from a rational perspective. Pastor Chuck, when he would share about the whole hippie revival and the Jesus movement in the 60s and 70s, he said, I take no credit for this. He said, this was all my wife. He said, we go down to the beach and I would see these guys with, you know, they, they hadn't taken a bath in how long and, they, you know, they hadn't washed their car and whatever and they weren't wearing shoes. And I think to myself, get a haircut, take a bath and get a job. He said, but my wife would weep. My wife would weep for their lost souls. And it changed me. It didn't make sense to have a guy like Chuck Smith reach counterculture hippies. 
Just like it wouldn't make sense to have an uneducated fisherman in Peter be the perfect guy to reach the educated Jewish people rather than Paul, the scholar and former Pharisee. It doesn't make practical sense to us, but that's what God does. And you know what's really cool about that? It means that you and I can never discount God's call in our lives because it doesn't fit our skill set. Do you know that? We can never discount God's call upon our lives because it doesn't fit our skill set. I'm going to share tonight a little bit about some of the things in my life, and, and none of it matches up. What do you do for a living, Will? Well, I speak publicly. I was the kid in high school that never, ever wanted to do that. I was the kid in high school that when it was my turn to speak in English class, and I would tell my mom, I'm not feeling well, mom, <laughs> you know? And then she would call the school and tell him, my son's not coming. I mean, 15-year-old, young, young, you know, going to be a man soon, you know? And, you know, I don't want to speak in front of people. And I, I always chuckle, here I do this. But it also reminds us that we should never insert ourselves into a spiritual task because we perceive we're better than others, that we would be able to accomplish it much better than someone else would do it. In the church so often, why do they choose that person to lead that ministry? Why do they choose that person to do that thing? I'm much more qualified. I'd be much better than them. You know, I'm much more mature than them. I'm a much better dad than them. Much better, you know, whatever. And the truth is, is that God just, he calls who he calls. He calls who he calls. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 5 and 7, verses that have always meant very much to me. It says, for we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves, your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. For we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Isn't that what we want? We don't want people to come in and go, look how smart they are, how talented they are, how gifted they are, or how anointed they are. We want people to walk away and go, do you see how cool Jesus was today? We want people to walk away and go, Jesus was here today. I met Jesus today. And if we're not doing that, then we are wasting time. So don't ever discount God's call in your life because you don't have a skill set, but don't ever become proud because of the giftings God gives you. Well, Paul is in a bad spot now. You know, the implication here of verse six, it says, but when Paul perceived that the one part were Sadducees and Pharisees, that word perceived, the implication of that word is that his mind is racing. He's trying to figure out how to recover this blunder because he's technically incriminated himself on trial. Now he has broken God's law, right? He has, he's insulted the ruler. And as a result, now he is guilty, no matter how he shakes it out. They can remain silent the entire time. And while the commander doesn't necessarily have to let them put him to death, he could turn them over to him for judgment. And so Paul, as he's looking around, racing, trying to figure a way out of this, he realizes that half of the group is Sadducees and the other half is Pharisees. And you say, well, shouldn't he already know that? He used to be a member of the Sanhedrin. I want to give you a whole history lesson, but things are starting to change in Israel. When Paul was a member of the Sanhedrin as a Pharisee, he was in the minority. The Pharisees were the more conservative group. They held to the scriptures more tightly. They were much more focused on the religious aspect of their country than the political aspect. And during that time, they were in the minority. 
But as things have been going on lately and Rome has been exercising more power and the Sadducees have been more in cahoots with Rome, the Pharisees have taken a greater seat in the Sanhedrin. Eventually they're going to become the majority and they're going to rebel against Rome. So when he realizes, man, this, I'm looking around, he's seeing the different garb and the different people he knows. He realizes, you know what? It's split halfway down the middle. And he thinks to himself, I could turn this into a religious debate that would put some of them in his favor and give the commander a reason to dismiss any charges. And so he begins, he cries out in the midst of the council. He says, men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee of the hope and resurrection of the dead. I am called in question. That's why I'm on trial. (laughs) You know, I've heard Paul praise for his wit in this tactful response that it wasn't dishonesty because, well, he used to be a Pharisee. And the resurrection of Jesus is what he believed in. And and that belief was really why he's on trial here. And that's really why they want him dead. But at the very least, it's manipulative. (laughs) At the very least. Jesus' reaction to the council's accusations is so different. He doesn't try to pit them one against the other. He doesn't try to get out of it. He's full of grace and truth. And you know, Paul identifying as a Pharisee here is not even being honest about his own faith at this point. Because later in prison, Paul will say this about his past in Philippians 3, verses 4 through 8. He will talk about his past, and he uses this language. He says, though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any man thinks that he has whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. He says, I'm circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, I persecuted the church. And touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. What things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yeah, and I doubt doubtless I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. Title of Pharisee, he considered it garbage. So why is he using it here? Paul had left his Phariseeism behind when he came to Christ, but here he resurrects the possibility that he's not a traitor. I'm just one of you guys. And could you imagine a more precious prize for the Pharisees than winning back Paul, the traitor? And so immediately it says in verse seven, when he had so said, there arose a dissension. The word there means a heated quarrel between the Pharisees and the Sadducees so that the multitude was divided. For the Sadducees say there is no resurrection. That's why they're sad, you see. (laughs) Neither angels nor spirits, but the Pharisees confess both that there is a resurrection and there are angels and spirits. And so there arose a great cry, a shouting match started to take place. And the scribes, these are the real legal guys, the guys who knew the Bible really well, that were of the Pharisees' part, they arose and they began to vigorously protest. They strove saying, we find no evil in this man. But if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him, let us not fight against God. (laughs) Mission accomplished, Paul. If half the council states he's innocent, then the commander must realize this is just one of these guys' dumb debates again and let Paul go. There's a problem with that, though, because the rest of the Sanhedrin still wants to kill Paul badly enough that they do it right in front of the commander anyway. And so verse 10 says, when there arose a great dissension, that's a different word, and it means a riot. A riot starts to break out again. Paul just, wherever he goes, riots break out. 
It says, when that happened, the chief captain, fearing lest Paul should have been pulled in pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and to take him by force from among them and to bring him into the castle, the Antonia fortress again. So rather than securing Paul's freedom, Paul's scheming put his life in danger yet again. And you know, this is why human scheming never works, even if it appears to work at first. You ever had that happen? You know, you lie, you bend the truth, you manipulate a little bit, and you go, ha, it worked. But then guess what? It's like a, it's like a little spider trail, right? You kind of got to follow it wherever it goes to make sure that you don't get found out, to make sure that all the pieces still stay in place so that the facade is there. See, our scheming is based on limited information. We can plot and plan as best as we possibly can, but we don't know nor can we control the future actions of others. God, on the other hand, has all information. And it's based on that unlimited information, which includes knowledge of the future that God gives us the principles in his word to live by. Whenever we come to a difficult issue in life, we know we can go to the Lord about it. Why? Because he's not limited in information. You know, last night we were having a conversation. We had a conversation about hell with my kids. And anytime you talk about the topic of hell, it's difficult, right? I've heard many people tell me and say, well, the punishment doesn't fit the crime. And there's a part of me that wants to kind of go, who made you God (laughs) that you can do that? That you could determine what the crime should be? That you are adequate and able, that you have all knowledge and you can actually describe and say what the proper punishment should be for the crime? There's a part of us, though, that feels that way, that we know best. And so in dealing with my kids, they were saying, well, it doesn't seem right, you know, this, that, and the other thing. And, and we were explaining to them, you know, about how, do you know everything? No, well, God knows everything. And so we trust him. And in that perfect and full knowledge, coupled with his perfect character, that God is just, and never makes a mistake. See, God gives us the principles we have in his word, the truths we have in his word, because he is not limited in knowledge. And so, That's why the Bible says, trust him with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. Obedience is so much better than any plan we can come up with. And so Paul ends up in the same spot he was before the trial. He's back in Roman custody with a bloodthirsty crowd screaming for his death. And for two days, it says in verse 11, in the night following, so for two whole days, Paul is left to himself there incarcerated in the Antonia Fortress. And while there, he gets really low, really low. I imagine the repeated warnings from God and all his actions up to this point keep replaying in his mind. How could you insult the high priest? Why didn't you listen to Ananias? The guy was tied up on the ground telling you not to go to Jerusalem. But no, no, I'm not afraid to die, you know? I don't know what he was thinking, but he was low and he was down. And he has to feel like he's totally blown it. And there into the midst of that, it says the Lord stood by him and said, be of good cheer, Paul. For as you have testified of me in Jerusalem, so must you bear witness also at Rome. You know, we don't know how the Jerusalem Christians reacted to Paul's incarceration, but the text seems to indicate he was left alone, that no one came to him. And Paul had to feel completely abandoned. And the beautiful truth is, is he wasn't. And neither are we. You know, in Psalm 118, we read today, oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, and for his mercy endures forever. And it mentions there in verse six of Psalm 118, David says, the Lord is on my side, I will not fear. What can man do unto me? The Lord is on my side. 
So if Paul was alone, the truth is he wasn't alone because the Lord stood by him. And so the Lord, he comes and he says to him, be of good cheer, take heart, cheer up. And you can always know when the Lord comes to say that it's because we're down. And isn't it awesome when the Lord says to cheer up, he says, for you have testified of me in Jerusalem, so you must bear witness also at Rome. The Lord doesn't bring up any of Paul's ignoring of the Spirit's warnings. He doesn't bring up the blunder with insulting the high priest. He doesn't bring up the attempt to split the Sanhedrin by identifying with the Pharisees. The only thing he brings up is the thing that Paul was faithful in, in the message he shared with the people, telling them about the Jesus who saved him. And you might be saying, how could God do that? I mean, should the Lord be angry with Paul? You didn't listen to the warnings. Didn't you insult the high priest? And you got all emotional. And then you tried to get out of it on your own. And now you're here. Now I'm in trouble. You're in prison. I got to get you out. Shouldn't the Lord react like that? Shouldn't he be angry with Paul? But see, when we say that God is good, that phrase that we speak so easily, we can't divorce it from the words in scripture that accompany it. It says, oh, give thanks unto the Lord for he is good and his mercy endures forever. We should be thankful for his goodness because his goodness is so different than how we handle things. You ever had somebody not give you what you deserve? Someone that you care about or someone that's important to you, maybe a, maybe a boss or maybe a family member or a friend or a spouse, and you think, you know what, I really deserve this right now, and they just, they're good to you? You're thankful, aren't you? you think, Man, I ducked that one. I, I really deserve to be run through the mill on that one. There's a thankfulness we have whenever we talk about God being good because he's not like us. He doesn't give us what we deserve. Unlike us, his mercy endures forever. That word for mercy is the Old Testament equivalent for agape love. You know, his love endures forever. He's not like us. He's always merciful. And you know, Jeremiah had to learn this lesson about God when he grew frustrated with God's people. Look at Jeremiah 15 with me real quick. Jeremiah 15. I want to read verses 15 through 19. Jeremiah had a hard ministry. No one really listened to him. At this point, he's frustrated because they're beginning to persecute him now. Instead of just ignoring him, they're beginning to mistreat him. And so he says, oh, Lord, you know, you see everything that's going on. So remember me. In other words, start acting on my behalf, Lord, and visit me and revenge me of my persecutors. Do not take me away in your long suffering. Know that for your sake I have suffered rebuke. Your words were found and I did eat them. And your word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord of God of hosts. I sat not in the assembly of mockers, nor did I rejoice. I sat alone because of your hand. In other words, I didn't go and do the things they did. I stayed all by myself because I didn't want to partake of the wicked things they were doing. Lord, you have filled me with indignation. But why is my pain perpetual? Why is my wound incurable, which refuses to be healed? Will you all be altogether unto me as a liar and as waters that fail? Jeremiah, he complains to the Lord about the unfairness of it all. He says, oh, I've been faithful, you know. And he asks God to get them. <laughs> you know, he says, he accuses, even accuses God of, Lord, are you gonna lie to me and not be faithful to your promise? But God tells him in verse 19, if you wanna be like me, you can't have this attitude, Jeremiah. Therefore, thus says the Lord. This was his reaction to Jeremiah's prayer. He says, if you return, I'll be with you again and you shall stand before me. You're going to be okay. You're going to get through this. And if you go and speak to them again, I'm going to take care of you. And if you shall stand, and you shall stand before me. 
And if you take forth the precious from the vile, you shall be as my mouth. That's interesting. He says, listen, Jeremiah, if you just go back to them with the attitude you've got now, I'll take care of you. You'll speak to them. You'll, you'll be faithful in that. He goes, but if you really want to be like me, you really want to be like my mouth to them, he says, you need to learn to be able to take forth the precious from the vile. God says, if you want to be like me, you have to find the precious things amidst the vile things. See, God is so good beyond even our wildest comprehension. Paul didn't need to be taught a lesson at this point in time. He already knew he blew it. He needed to be encouraged. And so the Lord says, listen, Paul, you did a good job sharing about me here. Guess what? Next, you're going to share about me in Rome too. <laughs> and for Paul, can you imagine how precious it was to hear those words? The Lord stood by him. Cheer up, Paul. He's probably thinking, why, man? I'm, I'm probably on the shelf. You've figured you're done with me, God. And the Lord says, no, 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 man. You're going to go to Rome. I can almost imagine, there's Paul. We look at the, we that verse where it says he's the glory and the lifter of our head. I can almost imagine Paul as he's sitting there. And, and what? Rome? Rome? Where do I sign up? <laughs> he's back on board again. The Bible warns us to never take the responsibilities we have as leaders lightly. But the reason that God can use anyone at all has everything to do with being in Christ and nothing to do with our ability. Even after we mess up, God longs to use us. You see, sometimes it's not God that puts us on the shelf, but we put ourselves on the shelf because we've listened to the condemning lies of the enemy. And I would just ask you, have you put yourself on the shelf because of past failures or, or even just perceived failures? Maybe it's time to stop looking back in condemnation and ask the Lord to say, what's next, God? Where do we go from here? We can't live in past failures. If I did that, I wouldn't be up here. We have to say, Lord, I want to walk with you from this day forward. What do you have for me next? So anyway, I'm not going to get through this chapter, obviously, but when we talk about God's goodness and love, that, that he would treat us like this, that he would be so gracious to us to give us second, third, and fourth, and fifth, and sixth, and seventh, and eighth, and ninth chances. It reminds us that this is all possible because of the ultimate manifestation of God's love. And that's the cross, right? For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But God, while we were yet sinners, he commences or demonstrates his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I want to encourage you. Let's focus on God's goodness towards us. And like the scripture says, let's be thankful. Let's thank him for that goodness. We didn't deserve the cross. If the Lord would have just said, you know what? Um, you know, I'm going to do it again like I did in Noah's day. I'm going to just wipe everybody out again. He'd been justified. Remember Jesus said when Peter, you know, cut the guy's ear off and he said, Peter, don't you realize I could call a whole legion of angels to save myself? I don't, I'm not in their power right now. I have power to lay my life down. I have power to take it up again. But in his goodness, he laid it down. So let's focus on his goodness and be thankful. And let's bring those past failures to his feet. Let's confess them as sin and then let's receive his forgiveness. And then let's give him our lives and say, Lord, here I am. What's next? Amen? Would you join me as we close in prayer? 
Lord, we thank you so much for your word which breathes life into us, your goodness, Lord, which never fails. Lord, we are so thankful that you don't treat us as we deserve. Lord, that you see not just the things we do, but the things that are inside our heart, the things that we don't act on, the things that we want to do sometimes. And that you're still good. You still love us. You still fight for us. And you died for us. Would you remind us of that love? Remind us that that love is big enough and strong enough not just to forgive us of our sins, but to stand beside us and say, hey, I've got work for you to do. That we would respond and say, here I am, Lord. Have all of me. Send me. Do whatever you want. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours, Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. My strong